Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So, um, so here's the scenario. So we're, we're still talking about resurrection. And here's the scenario. So I want you to picture it's Easter morning, and uh, or uh, they don't know it's Easter morning, but it's, it's Sunday morning. And the disciples are, are still heartbroken, and they're devastated. And, um, and we, we, know that, we know that they're not full of faith in that space. They're not sitting there with the twinkle in their eyes saying, Hey, you guys, just you wait. Something amazing is about to happen. That's not, that's not part of the story at all. In fact, it would be fair to say that their faith is fairly decimated. Right? Their faith is, is non-existent in that space at least as far as it concerns their hopes in Jesus, right? Because he's dead. He's gone. And uh, interestingly, there are, there are a few that have remained faithful, right? The, the women who we celebrate, right? Mary, you know, they come and they want to honor the body of Jesus, right? You know, so there's some faithfulness that's going on in the midst of the decimation of, of faith, of hope, and so, uh, so, so Mary, you know, and there's the, the, goes down to the tomb, and the episode happens that happens, and and the, encounters the angels, and, and there's this encounter with Jesus, and we have this sort of uh, these different narratives that are pulling on different threads of what takes place there, right? But there's an encounter. There's something that's wonderful and mysterious that happens, and then they come running back, and they say, "You won't believe what happened." We encountered an angel, and Jesus is risen, right? And Mary has this encounter with a gardener that's actually Jesus, and, and there's all this mystery that's going on, and something has taken place, right? And she comes into, the, into this a decimated community that's without faith, without hope in Jesus, and there's this proclamation, and everything gets weird, and Peter runs, rushes off, right? And there's all this stuff going on. And in the middle of that... Two of, two of the disciples are so full of faith and are so inspired by this that they get out of Dodge. <laughs> they leave, right? So, you know, it's, it's just this bizarro scenario where, um, and it's one of my favorite stories in a, in a lot of ways, but the, the two disciples that are, you know, we have this thing on the road um, to Emmaus, Right? And how many of us are familiar with that story of these two disciples? Or, you know, it, it's sort of funny. Like, I have pictured them in my mind like they're out for a walk or something, right? Or they're, or they're running an errand or something. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're going to, to Emmaus. And, and, uh, and in contemplating the story, it just it occurs to me how absurd that interpretation of what's going on is. Right? There's all this stuff happening. The story in Luke that documents this, and we're going to read it in just a second, it takes place on the day of resurrection. Furthermore, these two disciples know that something fishy is going on. They know something is going on. It gets revealed in the text. And where are they? Right? We have this. It's funny. Our Bibles say... You know, my Bible says, the heading says, on the road uh, to, to Emmaus, right? 
I wonder if it would be more accurate to say, on the way out of Jerusalem, right? Like they are, they're not running an errand. They're not out on a leisurely stroll. They're getting out of town. There's something, I don't know, all of the Bible in this is not explicitly clear about all the moving parts. And I want to just touch on that in a second. But first, let's just read the story. How about that? If you want to follow along, I'm in Luke 24, reading from verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them, and by them we mean disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together here as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. It's an interesting thing to sort of visualize this question, and then they just sort of stop walking and hang their heads, right? One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, he being Jesus, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that what they had seen, or that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of our companions went out to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see, they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. One of the things that I find frustrating about following Jesus 
is the absence of, of straight lines in his thinking. The absence of point A to point B, getting the job done, doing something that's linear and that makes sense to me. I don't know about you. I find that, I find that fairly frustrating. And you can relate to it. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I think in, you know, I was thinking about this. So I've been following Jesus for something like 30 years now. And I just can't think of a whole lot of moments where it was like, you know, very specific. Here's the, here's the thing that you're, that you're looking for. Boom. And just kind of delivering it over, right? There's this, my experience is that there's this wandering journey that looks like it maybe takes a few circles and it just takes a while to get to the point. And sometimes, and sometimes what's hilarious is that Jesus gets you to the point sometimes years after you care about it the same way. And in retrospect, you look back and you go, oh Lord, that's what you were doing. And you like walked right past the target and only see it in hindsight. God's ways are super mysterious to me. You know, and it's, it's funny, like, when I look at creation, when I look at the world, there just aren't a whole lot of straight lines out there, right? Like, when, when you ask a child to draw a tree, often what happens is you get, what, a couple of straight lines for the trunk, right? Have you ever seen a straight trunk, tree trunk? It doesn't exist. It doesn't seem to move or create in straight lines. We, we like that stuff. We like the structure of that. We like the, the reliability of getting from point A to point B. We take shortcuts, right? We, this is a very human thing, it would seem to me, the straight lines. And so, this story, I think, is anything but a straight line in the story of the resurrection. And really what I want to talk about in the midst of the story is I want to talk about the sneakiness of God. Yay, God. <laughs> there you go. And I'm not always a fan of sneakiness. You know? Like, you know, a surprise party, is that's fine. You know, if I have the space for it and the people who are there are people that I like, then a surprise party is a lot of fun. But sneakiness, it's just, it's like, what are you on about? Why not just be plain? And I could ask that of Jesus just about every step along the way. So, just want to reflect a little bit on the story that we just read together in light of all of that. Um, so just a couple of points of context. Uh, we don't really know much about these two. The only named uh, follower of Jesus here is this guy named Cleopas. And a tradition kind of puts him possibly in different parts of the story, but in reality, we don't know. The only time he clearly shows up in the, in the story is, is here, right? So we have a, and then, so we have Cleopas and we have this unnamed disciple, um, but what we do know is that they were clearly in the circle of Jesus' followers because they had information, right? They, it, they get the sense that, that they were in the room when, when Mary came bursting in with this news, right? So they're in the, they're, they're disciples. Um, and like I said, you know, it's, 
This doesn't take place kind of like two fellows are on the road to a town outside of Jerusalem. This is right in the heat of the story. Right? This is, they receive this news, and for some reason it seems like a really good idea for these two to get out of Dodge. So, reflecting on this, and this isn't rhetorical, you can speak out some thoughts. In reflecting on the story, what... What sorts of things strike you as as like strike you as odd? Like maybe you would would beg a question or two in the story. Why does Jesus keep himself hidden for so long? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 What's this back? What's their backstory, right? What, what, what's their motivation? What are they doing? Why are they on the road? Why don't they believe the women? <laughs> yeah. 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 And then we checked out. Yeah. What? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good thought. Yep. Yeah. 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 What about the bit where? What about the bit where they where they get? That's a good point, actually. They're obviously they actually live obviously there because they invite Jesus in right to host him. Um, it still begs the question, like, in the context of what they heard in the morning, why, why are they leaving? Why did they, why did they check out? Like, obviously something is going down, right? But anyway, so, um, you know, but it says Jesus makes like he's going to keep on going, right? He's like, I'll see you later, fellas. You know, have a good, have a good night, like, and keeps on walking, and, and they have to invite him in, right? Like, what a strange, what a strange moment. Right? Anything else that feels strange about the story? As soon as they get it, he like, poof. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't say he leaves. It says he disappears, right? Like, I'm about ready to go all Harry Potter on the moment. Like, what's happening here, right? Well, that's part. I mean, that's a good, that's part of the question of this thing, right? Is how does this? Where does this? I think that this story exists in many ways. It reflects it reflects into our journey in lots of different ways. That there are things that we can take it, we can lay, we can lay it over our own journeys, and that's the and that's the hope this morning is that we'll be able to to do that and maybe get some helpful questions in that space. Right, because because yeah, how often, how often? Well, actually, here's the thing. This is off book. How many of you have had an epiphany that was absolute, with absolute clarity? You've discovered something about God, and you were like, "This, this is amazing! This about God! Wow!" And all of a sudden, the 
gospel and grace and all sorts of things come to life, and by next Friday, you're lost. Seriously, hands up. I'll totally put my hand up to that. Right? What is that? Yeah, but it's so frustrating. <laughs> well, it, uh, that's right. It's, uh, it's, that's the thing, right? It's not supposed to be easy, I guess. But I think we need to orient our, our, our journey around, like... If I'm plotting out a journey, if I got to get somewhere, I just I just want to get there, right? And it seems to me like there are just these moments where God shows up in super unexpected ways and likes and puts us on a detour, and like there's something in that journey for us, right? And this becomes part of the, I mean, this is the ongoing. It's not all struggle. It's not all wrestle, right? It's not all of it. But I find it's interesting that in this story, that Jesus sits there and he opens the scriptures, and and the like. He reveals through the scriptures precisely to these two how the scriptures paint the picture perfectly for him, in a way that I don't think has ever been done since. Right? And they still don't recognize him in that moment. Right? And remember, and particularly so here, post resurrection, although we would say through the whole story, we're looking at part of the part of the triune God. And that means that where Jesus is, God is in fullness. At some level, right? There's this like God is speaking. God is God is there, physically there with them, saying, and then here, right from Moses, right from the beginning, right? And then and then here, and then look how this set the stage for this, and then all the prophets and and you know, and obviously we we find out in the course of the story that their hearts are burning within them, but neither of them say, Jesus. And I have no like to Jason's point, I have no idea what like what kind of thing is going on there? Like, how is that possible? Because it's not that they were just from a distance and they knew about him. When their eyes were opened, they recognized him. They had been in his presence before. There, he was to be recognized by them. They were in, on some level, his circle. You know, and then the other question that I have is, like, what happened at the table? So you have you have this disclosure of truth right out of the scriptures, right? And I think it's important to note that Jesus did that and how he valued what God had done and how God had set the stage for what was taking place. And he used that to build a foundation for revelation. I find it super interesting that it wasn't in his teaching that he was revealed to them as the resurrected Jesus. 
It wasn't in the Bible study. That was the foundation for the revelation that happened. But like what happened at the table when he broke the bread? One of our favorite um, uh, gospel movies, like iterations of, of Jesus' life, is actually uh, a movie called The Miracle Maker. Has anyone seen that? I highly recommend it. It's actually available on Amazon Prime, I think, if you're a subscriber to that. But um, I'll just give away a punchline because it's like it's in the book. But the they have this really, it's, it's animation. It's claymation and animation, which is a really interesting method of telling the story. And, uh, and whenever Jesus breaks bread throughout this movie, he always lifts it above his head and breaks it. Right, and and what's fascinating is that in this in this movie, when they get to this to this scene, because this is part of what they've included, when he lifts the bread and breaks it over his head, that's the point of recognition. Because they see some all of a sudden the familiarity of the specific thing, this this shared experience come, and all of a sudden they see who he is, and the. The film, in my mind, is worth watching for that scene alone. It's one of my favorite bits. I just love that. But there's something in the hospitality of that moment that Jesus is revealed. So, I'm just finding my place here. There are some big themes that are existing in these pages in this in this story, and um, and I want to tie this into la- to some language that we've used the last couple of weeks, right? Where which is the question: How do we practice resurrection? Can resurrection be a practice of life? We have practices of prayer, practices of reading the Bible, practices of brushing our teeth, flossing our teeth, if we're particularly committed to having them um, for a long time. We have these practices. Is there such a thing as a practice of resurrection? And what does that look like? Right? And so, um, so here's an interesting thing. I feel like I feel like what these two are doing on resurrection day, actual resurrection day, the day that Jesus was raised, was that they were in the midst of practicing their doubt, their hopelessness. They were practicing their hopelessness. They were they were done with whatever was going on and their hearts were broken. And these two friends are walking along and they are in sorry shape and they're telling their stories and i just imagine what the, what was their what were their conversations like right but what what about that time that he said this what about the time that he did that what about the time that he that that he looked at you Cleopas, and he said and he said this is going to this is what i'm calling you to in your life right what about what about what about where did the power go how did that happen this makes no sense to me Right? 
Like, I can just imagine, you know, it says they're discussing. I can imagine the tone and the disillusionment of their conversation, right? And they've just bought into it. They've leaned into it, and they're, and they're going home. The other thing that is so interesting to me that I think is so important, um, because like I don't pretend to be able to parse this all out and teach specifically, like to answer all of the questions in this text. In fact, that's not my goal in, in the least, is to answer all the questions in the text. But I do think this. I think that, I think that the gospel writer knew exactly what he was trying to do that he was writing this with, with great purpose and with great intention. And so that Jesus showed up to, to two who were stepping, out, stepping away from community, stepping away from, from whatever was happening. They had chosen that they were, that they were not going to hold I think, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, and I stand that I could be wrong in these assumptions. So we'll just we'll call this a, an exercise in just thinking outside the lines a little bit. Coloring outside the lines just a little bit. But they're they're very they're they're broken and they're mystified. And then Jesus shows up, but he doesn't show up in a way that is that is gonna solve their issues just like that. Like he doesn't show up and he's not he's not the obvious answer to them when they see him. You know, and to Yuri's point, when the revelation happens, he disappears. Right? Now, what's interesting is where do they go in that moment? When, so they've had an encounter with the risen Jesus, their eyes are opened, right? He does his thing, whatever that is. And then what's the next thing that happens? Does anyone remember in the, in the story? Yeah, they rush back to Jerusalem. I assume it's dark now, it's nighttime, I don't, you know. But they rush back to community. They rush back to the community, and suddenly their story and the thing that God has revealed to them, they are pulled into, you know what, Peter had the same experience. Peter met with Jesus too, right? And all of a sudden, there's a chorus of voices that are coming together in community, right? I think that's a really important piece of what's taking place here. But what I want to draw our attention to, I don't want to rush past that, because that is sort of the ultimate answer that we find in this story, I think, any, anyways. right? But I, wanna, I want to draw our attention to the fact that Jesus showed up in the middle of their questions, and he was present with them, and he was hidden from them. They didn't see who he was. And how many of you feel alone in your doubt sometimes? Like the place of doubt feels like a lonely place to me. You know, and this is a place where, where we acknowledge that, uh, that doubt is part of the human story. I, I don't, I've never met anyone who I trusted implicitly or completely who who didn't express on some level that there were doubts in their lives that there were things that they wrestled with right and so 
find that so comforting, actually. That Jesus shows up and he's near and he's present and he engages with them in their questions, right? I mean, he, has, he, does, he does sort of say, like, you guys are really thick. Like, that does happen, right? He does kind of call them out and say, you guys are, are really slow and a little bit foolish in this moment to me, but I'm going to be here with you. I'm gonna, and, I'm, and he takes this long line with them. So we're, we're coming in, we're closing in here. This is really, really important that I think we walk away with this. I believe that when questions get created, particularly in Scripture, that those questions serve as invitations. Sometimes we can get so frustrated by the questions because what we really want are answers all the time. But what's fascinating to me is that a question is an invitation to, to, to press in and to encounter God in a new way. An answer just, just kind of is like, it just sort of scratches an itch on some level, right? And so there are so many invitations in this story, this resurrection story, right? An invitation into, uh, on some level, to ask honest questions, an invitation into some of the doubt of that, an invitation into community, right? But here's the really important thing, because if we just frame doubt as a, as, or questions as, a, as the goal, say, I, I, that's not something that I, that I think is, is, the, is the thing. The turning point in this, for me, is the hospitality of these two in the midst of their questions and their uncertainty. There is, a, there is a hospitality that they are willing to engage with with the stranger who is setting their hearts on fire without revelation. And what that sounds like to me is that it's just a super painful thing. Have you ever had, have you ever had a lost dream and then somebody comes along and they start fanning the flames that used to feed that dream and it just feels like agony? It's like, shut up, I don't want you to say that. I don't need, I don't need to talk about that right now. This hurts too much. Right? I believe that Jesus, hidden, is doing that. He's fanning these flames. I'm just, I got to, because we, we're, we got the kids coming back in, so we can, if that's okay. Thanks. So, he's fanning the flames. And in the midst of the agony of that, they they actually, he goes, he, he gives them an out even, right? And by the way, the strange thing is that the, the scripture there, when he talks about he made like he was going further, what that means in the Greek is that he, he pretended. Like he was, it's weird to me. What do you mean you pretended? You mean you were disingenuous? Like that's weird to me, right? It's like, it's like the time he's walking in the water and, and everyone's struggling in the, in the boat and the waves are coming up and it says it made, you know, Jesus went to, Pass them by, right? Like, see fellows, and they call them over. It's this strange, like, what are you doing, Jesus? Why? Why that moment? I think it's because it was an opportunity for them to actually engage in the hospitality with, with, within the space of their doubt and within the pain of this hope, this burning that's in them, and they sit down. And in that space of communion with God, holding the tension, he's revealed. He's revealed at the table. 
He's revealed in the meal. I just think that that is so beautiful. And that is, that's the invitation. I think we have a choice in this, in our doubt and disappointment. And if you're not in that space this morning, that's awesome. Uh, enjoy. But if you have doubt or disappointment in your life, I think that what this story says, it doesn't cancel out your opportunity to encounter God. And, and the invitation or the choice is to remain vulnerable to hospitality with the strange and with hope and to sit down and to commune with that. Because that was the point of revelation. That was the point where they encountered and they realized, oh, you've been with us the whole time. We thought we were alone in our doubt, but you were actually present with us. Right? Hospitality. Inviting, inviting God into a place that feels otherwise lonely and, and, and I, don't, I just don't need hope here. So I think that's an invitation for us this morning, and I think that's part of what it looks like to practice resurrection, actually. Because God has spoken some things to some of us that feel uh, empty and that feel dormant and perhaps in, in, in the grave. And the pain of, of entertaining, of hospitality, that's an act of trust that maybe there's something to this resurrection thing. So that's, that's a part of our invitation and our choice this morning, as well as being open to Jesus revealing himself in frustrating and unexpected ways. Because that's what he did here.